Well, good morning, everyone. Glad to have all of you that are watching uh, online this morning. If you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it, and we're going to be, it should be pretty easy to find our text. Just open your Bible at the beginning, and the very first page, Genesis 1, is where we're going to be this morning. Genesis chapter 1. This, uh, <clears throat> this Christmas, I got to watch two of my granddaughters uh, open their presents. They're four and one, okay? Well, what the, when the older received a present, she would open it, you know, real excitedly. It couldn't wait to see what was inside. But also, as soon as she opened hers and saw what was inside, she wanted to help her younger sister, so she went and helped her open hers too. You see, they were both excited about what was under the bow and the paper. What was there? It was the thrill and excitement of seeing what was inside. You know, as we've talked about this morning, as we begin this new journey together of reading through the entire Bible, it is our prayer that like my granddaughters, you will develop a can't-wait attitude toward reading each day, of wanting to discover as you open the pages, what God has for you inside. To be empowered to grow in your understanding and relationship with God who has pursued you and me from the very beginning. Sometimes you'll find it'll be easy to see what God is teaching you as you read the scriptures and and other times, you will have to wrestle with what passages mean. But, and in the process, it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to ask others who you trust if you're in a small group, a perfect place in your community group to do that. But it's also okay to just tell God, I, I just don't understand this. But I want to encourage you, because this is what I do. Keep reading. Keep reading. And it's not because you want to check a box every day and say, yeah, I'm up on the reading plan. No, it's because you want to open the package and you want to see what God has for you inside. So read because the Bible is informational. You will learn a lot about God, a lot about yourself, a, a, a lot about his plan, and all of that. The Bible is informational. But also read because the Bible is motivational. It will encourage you. It will comfort you. It will help you to get up in the morning and go through the next day. It is motivational. The Bible wants you to read because the Bible is also confrontational. We all have lenses, our culture and everything kind of, kind of helps us to, well, not helps us, but sometimes blinds us to God's truth. And so he's going to point it out as we read, and he's going to open our eyes to things, and he's going to expose sin in our lives, and he's going to expose things that we need to take care of with our brothers and sisters, with people, or how we act, or how we treat, and it goes on. It's going to be confrontational. It's going to, be cha it's going to challenge our worldview. 
in how we see God. But also read because the Bible is transformational. I tell people all the time, you will become like the people you spend time with. And then I say this to them, how much time are you spending with God? You see, his word, as it gets into you and you get to know God, it will transform your mind, which will transform your life. And read because the Bible is foundational. It's the truth about God and about us. It's the truth about God, man, sin, grace, forgiveness, and eternity. The Bible is foundational. And that is exactly where we want to start this morning. The foundational truths about God and about us. And so we're going to look at Genesis chapter 1. Now, some of you that know the Bible say we could spend weeks and weeks in Genesis chapter 1. And there are things in here that great Christian leaders and scholars have discussed and disagreed about for centuries. And I'm sorry, but I'm not going to solve all of those for you today. But I believe there are some basic truths here that we can walk away with that are foundational to our understanding of God and our understanding of ourselves in his plan. And that's where we want to start today on this journey. These truths are foundational, not only for our understanding of God, but for our life, for our daily life. And you don't have to go very far into Genesis 1 to get the first one that we often skim right over. And the first truth is, in the beginning, God, not me. In the beginning, God, not me. The opening phrase of the first first book of the Bible has great significance And yet we often overlook it. In the beginning, God. It doesn't say, in the beginning, man. Man did not create God, though we all have a tendency, don't we, to try to make him into the God that we want him to be. I find myself even trying to manipulate God with regards to my prayers. I find myself wanting to be first most of the time. I want to be the center of attention. I I, I want to be the hub from which everything goes and grows. I want a God that works for me. Yet God is above all things, existed before all things, in the beginning, God, and is the one to whom I owe my very existence. Yet, I think, and I know I'm not alone in this, I think that I'll be better off, have more fun, and live a more fulfilling life if I'm in charge, if I'm the one that sets things in motion and directs the path that I take. 
That is the story not only of my fall, but the constant struggle, fall, and chaos of all men. We want the world our way. We want to be God. We want to be the beginning. I think that it is most interesting, inspiring, and and no coincidence that the Bible, the story here of God, begins with these words, in the beginning, God. Sure, I know that we're going to add the word created to it, and that seems to be the major focus of this passage in Genesis 1. But I think there is great truth here for us in these words, in the beginning, God, especially as we begin our journey through the Bible. And you see, we're not only told that this is God's story, but it is also the story of the triune God, which is also in these words. You see, the Hebrew word for God here is Elohim, which 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 denotes the idea of a plurality of God. Jesus and the Holy Spirit didn't somehow come into existence later. One God, three persons, was always true in the beginning, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Apostle John, who spent three years in close relationship with Jesus when he was on this earth, opened his account of Jesus' life and ministry with these words. And listen, they have a familiar ring. Here's what he says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things, get this, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Now look down at verse 14 of John chapter 1, and it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son, the unique one, from the Father, full of grace and truth. In the beginning, God includes Jesus. And look at verse 2 of Genesis chapter 1. It says, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And what? The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The Spirit of God was hovering. In other words, in the beginning, a triune God existed. We didn't make him up. He is before all things. So, I'm not the beginning, and neither are you. God is the beginning. We are not the ones in charge. God is. And the Bible is not ultimately a story about man, but a story about God. In the last book of our Bible in Revelation, the same Apostle John, you know, that that I just talked about that, that wrote those words about Jesus, He saw and heard a vision from God. And hear these words. Hear these words. God's words recorded for us 
near the end of the Bible, near the end of the story that we have. Revelation 22, 13. This is what God says. See if this doesn't ring with Genesis 1. God says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. In the beginning, not me, not you. Everything begins with God. Everything is dependent on God and under God. Truth number one, in the beginning, God, not me. Truth number two, and we're just going to continue with this phrase. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, Steve, here we go, right? I want to make this point clear. The writer of Genesis uses summary statements a lot. In other words, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth is a summary statement for what is going to be included in a lot of the rest, not only Genesis 1, but Genesis 2. So he works that way. He makes a summary statements. And then if you've been in the reading plan, you know that there's more, right? There's a longer version. So the entire verse is a summary statement of the rest of the chapter. And those of you who are with us on the reading plan know that. So this is not a chapter, okay, of great detail in terms of what we in the Western culture like. But what it does say is of great significance. First, let's just look at the word created. The word here in Hebrew does not carry the meaning of created out of nothing. There are other scriptures that point to that, okay? Because that's not what the writer of Genesis, is, uh, the information he's trying to give us. The truth is actually in, in other passages, but that does not minimize that which is being said here and that it is of great importance and truth. You see, the Hebrew word used here that is translated created carries with it the idea, get this, of design and purpose. Just look at the rest of this chapter. Over and over again, what God does out of nothing is to create a, a, a purposeful design done in a purposeful order for the ultimate purpose of providing an environment for his most purposeful creation, mankind. You see, this idea of design is, is a much more difficult issue for two true atheistic evolutions than if we just say the word create. It is very difficult to look intelligently at the world and not see the design of a creator over all of it. There is truth to the fact that the word translated day can mean a 24-hour period. It can also mean a period of time. It can mean both. But that's not the important things. Christian scholars have been arguing about that for centuries. But you see, either way, either way, God spoke each aspect of creation into existence the exact way that he wanted it to be and for the purpose for which he created it. 
grand design is all over creation, all over this universe and beyond. Chance doesn't have design. Chance doesn't create order. Chance is not what God does. Designer with purpose is who God is. Look, just look at the order that's in this passage. Look, look at the Look at the first day. It says, look down to verse 3. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning. There was the, the first day. Who needed light? God didn't need it. God didn't need light. The things that he was about to create needed light. There is purpose there is, there is design. Not only that, but that darkness and light and what we see him creating later on, if you read through this, was also what? The first way of man being able to understand time, to be able to have a day, to, under, to, to give him a calendar in which to place things. This is God's design. It's not random. It's not chaotic. Look at verses 6 through 8. I'm not going to read them. You can look at them later because I'm going to run out of time because there's so much stuff here. But God is creating and designing an atmosphere. Okay, we can argue about how it was done, but the idea is, is that God was creating an atmosphere for which you and I could exist, for which the animals could exist, for which the plants could grow. God's design. And notice the order that's through here. Each step had to happen before the other one could happen. And we could go on. We're told even in the, in the, in the verses that, um, if we go on even past the verses that, that Brian read for us this morning, God says, says yeah, yeah, I've created those plants so you'd have something to eat. There's design. There's design. There is purpose. God's design is all over creation, from the grandest to the tiniest. There is unequal design. That by the honest person cannot deny. Walton, in his commentary on, on Genesis and, and this, this whole idea, says this. The wording of Genesis 1 does not allow us to believe in a God who just created physical things, but in a God who created and designed everything for its specific role and purpose. Note here that design also carries with it the concept that God has not left his creation but is still at work. Yes, his ultimate design of creation was finished. We know that from the seventh day, right? And yes, he rested on the seventh day, which, by the way, did God need to rest? No. Who, who was that designed for? For us. But it was also a way for not only him but for us to look at everything that God has done and see the beauty of it and for us to see the grace of it. God created all of this. For us. 
seventh day, he rested. But the scriptures make it clear that God is still at work in his creation. The Apostle Paul, who was a great scholar, by the way, of the Old Testament, probably had a lot of it memorized, at least the, the first five books of the Bible. But look at what he says in, in, in his letter to the people in Colossae. In chapter 1 of Colossians, verses 16 and 17, this is what he says, and he's talking about Jesus here, but he says, for by him all things were created, there we go, right, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And listen to this, this line here. He is before all things, right, in the beginning. And in him, all things hold together. God has not left his design. God has not left his creation. He is the very one that is holding it all together. God is still in control. He didn't create and leave. He purposely designed what he is still actively involved in. In the beginning, God created heavens, and the earth. Truth number three. By the way, I said you can go back through this chapter and you can find lots of other ones, but, but I picked out three that I thought were good for us to talk about this morning. Let's go to verse 26. Then God said, in other words, after he'd created everything else, after he'd done it all in design order to prepare for this, then God said, let us make man in our image after our own likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. By the way, making, God, making man in God's image means that this next part and let them have dominion is part of that image. It's part of that image. It is clear that there is a uniqueness and level of intimacy and love in God's design and creation of mankind that is different from the rest of his work. It differentiates people from animals. There is no question about that. It makes it clear that who we are, who God made us to be, reflects him. Notice, I mean, just look at the emphasis in, in verse 26. The author does not want us to miss this. Now, that, that's why he repeats himself and uses different words. And he says, let us create him in our own image. And then he says, which says the same thing, after our likeness. He doesn't want us to miss that. We are different. We are a special design. This is God's design for us. Walton, again, a commentator on Genesis, says this, and this is interesting because it, it gives us kind of the cultural context of what we have written here. It says, in the ancient world, which he's talking about the time in which this would have been written, an image was believed in some way to carry the essence of that which it represented. Let me repeat that. In the ancient world, an image... Okay, we are the, let, us make, let us make man in our image. In the ancient world, an image was believed in some way to carry the essence of that which it represented. 
He goes on to say, the image of God in people provides them the capacity not only to serve as God's vice regents, right, the dominion, his representatives containing his essence, but also, get this, the capacity to be and to act like God. In other words, there is some of God in every one of us. God is a creator and a designer, and he has given man the ability and the desire to do the same in a multitude of ways. Does man create? Does man design? Does man plan? That is all part of God's grace. That is all part of his image in us. God is a God of love, and he has put that in us, tarnished, okay, I get that, but it's still there, and we'll talk about that in a minute. God exists in community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and he has put that desire for community in us. God can reason, think, make choices, and he has put that ability in us. And that is tremendous grace, and we'll talk about that in a minute too. God is a God of order and purpose, and he has put that, and I, wanted to, I started thinking about my, my wife Chris and I and, and things being in order and purpose, and I was going to put, and he has put that in some of us more than he's put it in others, right? It's in us. God is a God of sovereignty and rule. And he has given us a place to play in that dominion on the earth. At this point, some of you may be thinking, but what about the fall of man that is written about in Genesis 3 if you're, if you're doing your reading plan? Well, this is a picture, okay? Genesis 1, this is a picture of the love and the grace of God. Because listen to this, making us in his image gave us the ability to choose him or decide to be God in his place. Because, see, he wanted us to choose him and have the freedom to do that. That is God's grace. To be sure, that messed up. Some of this Genesis 1, didn't it? Big time. But I want you to see something, especially when it comes to the image of God in us. But I want you to see something in Genesis chapter 9, verse 6. After the flood, Noah's come out of the ark, and God is, is giving him some guidelines with regards to how things should operate. And he says this, Whoever sheds the blood of a man, by man shall his blood be shed. Now we can talk about you know, whether that applies today with regards to capital punishment and all that. We're not going to get into any of that discussion. But look at the next phrase. For God made man in his own image. In other words, yes, the image of God is tainted because of the fall. But the scriptures seem to make it clear that the image of God still exists in everyone. Though corrupted by sin, the image of God still exists in man after the fall. In other words, all people, all people, all people are still image bearers, 
special creations of God. Genesis 1 is the picture of creation without sin, before man's rebellion from God, before man saying, in the beginning, I'd like it to be me. And the rest of the Bible is about God's pursuit of man, in spite of man's constant rebellion. God is pursuing man to restore that image, to restore his image to its original sin-free state. Not because he has to, but because he loves you. God's grace through the work of Christ is clearly portrayed also as the only way. Look at what the Apostle Paul writes about those who put their faith in Christ and his work on their behalf. Um, he, he says, he's, ta- he's writing to the people, Paul's writing to the people uh, in Ephesus, and he's talking about, about putting on Christ and all that. And he says, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, me wanting to be God, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds to put on the new self, listen to this, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. God is about restoring his image in you. Colossians 3 Paul says it again to another group of believers in another town. He says, do not lie to each other, Colossians 3, 9 and 10. He says, do not lie to each other, seeing that you have put off your old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after what? The image of its creator. Again, to the people in Ephesus, chapter 2. In his letter, verses 8 to 10, we, we all, we, a lot of us know the first two verses. We know 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, right? And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. We cannot, we cannot in our own, okay, clean up our image of God in us. Only God can. Through Jesus. But listen to verse 10. It rings of Genesis 1 again. For we are God's workmanship. Another way that's translated that word can be masterpiece. We are God's pinnacle of creation, created in Christ Jesus, right? Because we needed to be created again for good works. God has work for us to do. Is that Genesis 1? Absolutely. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Another through Christ. In other words, through Christ, eventually we're going to get back to doing and being who we were meant to be in God's perfect creation. That we should walk in them. You see, Genesis 1 is all over this. God wants to restore his workmanship, creation, image bearer, masterpiece, the pinnacle of his creation. God wants to restore you 
God wants to restore in me. And even if you've accepted Christ, he's still got some restoring work to do. Okay? But we are told that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. God will. God will restore you. Adam and Eve were created as God's masterpiece, his best work. You and I, as descendants of them, without Christ, are broken, broken, damaged, image-bearing creations of his that he wants to restore. But get this. No matter who you are, what you have done, what others think of you, what you think of yourself, you are God's special creation a masterpiece of his that he wants to restore and put back to work for him. All people, all people, even the unborn ones are God's special, unique, image-bearing, essence-carrying creations of his. There is no place for thinking that we are better than anyone else. There is no place for mistreating any of God's image bearers or ignoring their hurts and pains and needs. There is no place for us not to feed, clothe, educate, and share Jesus with all of God's special creation, no matter how broken. And see, we have come full circle, haven't we? It all starts with God. The design of God not only shows the greatness of God, but the grace of God to us. Right here in Genesis 1, he created, he designed the perfect place for his special creation, for mankind to thrive. His grace demonstrated in the position that he gave to mankind in the beginning, the privilege of having dominion over, taking care of the rest of creation, but also being created in the image of God, to create, to think, to choose. And we messed it up. That's chapter 3 of Genesis. We wanted to be God, and chaos entered the world. But the designer, the creator, never gave up on you and me, his masterpiece and his plan of Genesis 1. John also, again, in Revelation, the last book in our Bible, in Revelation 21, 1 through 5, he says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, listen to this, if this doesn't make you think of Genesis 1 and 2. I don't know what will. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. This is the hope. This is the restoration of Genesis 1. 
with God in charge of his grand design in relationship with the masterpiece of his recreation, you and me, restored to the image, to his image for all eternity. I just want to leave you with four thoughts with regards to this. In the beginning, God, and that God created and that we are his image. Number one, allow God to be God you'll be much, much better off. And if you've never bowed the knee to him and said, I'm going to let you be king. I'm going to let you be creator. I want to challenge you to do that. Jesus said, come to me, all who are burdened and weary, and I will give you rest. Come. Some of us, these believers in Jesus, also need to remember to bow the knee. To remind ourselves every day, God, thank you that I'm not God, that you are. Number two, accept God's grace and recognize all that he has provided for you, especially his son Jesus, as the only way back into relationship with God. Three, live as God's image bearers and treat others the same. And number four, live in the hope that God is not done and Genesis 1 will be restored. Let's pray. God, thank you for, for reminding us that it all starts with you. And God, we ask, we, we, we thank you so much as Mike prayed earlier, for all of the wonderful things that you have created for us, we take so for granted our hearts beating. We take so for granted that we can put a seed in the ground and it grows. And we could go on and on with that list. Thank you. And thank you that you made us in your image. You made us creative beings. And God, we are someday looking forward to being perfected back again into your image. God, as we start this new year, I ask that you would fill us with hope, that you would help us to treat others even that we disagree with as bearers of your image, and that we would love, and that we would care, and that we would serve. We pray this in Jesus' name.